gadgets, huh? Well, as we just sang, it is uh, so good to celebrate today, uh, to come together and uh, take communion, to remember uh, the most important thing to celebrate, which is our salvation uh, that we have through the blood of Jesus, and uh, to take communion and remember that is so important, Uh, and also to celebrate uh, the truth that we have in God's Word, and we're studying out Philippians together as a church, you can be turning uh, to Philippians uh, chapter 2. Uh, so much lately here in the UK to celebrate. Uh, Team GB is doing uh, fantastic. Surpassed the medal count in London. Who would have ever thought they'd do that? And I'm, I'm just I'm living in the best of both worlds because I'm an American citizen in the UK. First and second place in the medal count. USA and GB. This is awesome. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And as was said, uh, looking forward to uh, testing out the Olympic skills of the teens in the church. This Friday at the Purcells at 7 p.m., all the new teens, 13 and above, and all the other teens uh, should show up, hopefully, if they can, uh, this Friday at 7 o'clock for some great Garden Olympics. Uh, So looking forward to that. Uh, We've been studying Philippians. We started out a few weeks ago when I arrived here jet-lagged and uh, speaking English poorly. I'm still speaking English poorly, but I'm less jet-lagged. And uh, we, we talked about, you know, this idea of keep growing, keep growing uh, from Philippians uh, chapter 1 there in the beginning. Uh, and then last week, uh, we talked about keep going, inspired by the Olympic spirit of Mo Farah and others. And, and we talked about how Paul, you know, 10 years later is calling the church in Philippi to continue to advance the gospel. Uh, and so that's still the call to us thousands of years later as the church is to be people who are advancing the gospel. But we talked about how, uh, you know, we must bear the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and live the gospel. To be those people who keep the gospel going in our lives and in our city. Uh, and so uh, we will go on uh, today in, in, into chapter 2. And so Paul, Paul, as he often does here in Philippians, uh, in any of his letters, he often is... is is putting a big idea out there and then practically set up uh, things uh, with the group that he is talking to. And, and we've talked a lot about verse 27, where he talks about standing firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Uh, and we've referenced quite a bit uh, this verse already in the first few sermons. Uh, and it's alluded, uh, we believe, to this formation called the phalanx, would have been, which would have been uh, you know, in the Philippians' mind because Philippi was a retired Roman military colony. Uh, and so many uh, of the people that lived in that city were from the Roman army. And when Paul used this language in Philippians 1.27, it was um, probably a militaristic phrase to them. And so they would have pictured uh, this uh, phalanx, this group of armed soldiers with their swords, their uh, spears to get pointed out and their shields together, withstanding any assault and, and marching forward together in unison. And so it's this great picture of how the church ought to be as we strive toward together, uh, toward heaven, uh, preaching the gospel as we go. And so in light of this big idea, Paul goes on in chapter 2. Uh, we'll read here in verse 1. He says, Therefore, if, any, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then he says in verse 2, In chapter 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so in light of this this image of of unity uh, that that Paul has already put before the church, 
Uh, he then starts to give them some practical guidance in and through Christ, how they can stay one, how they can be that spiritual phalanx. And so our theme uh, today is going to be keep together. We've got to keep growing, we've got to keep going, but as we do that, we've got to keep together. Oneness is the image, of course, that the phalanx represents. And now Paul shares specifically to the church here how they can stay together in Christ. Disunity uh, was a big issue that Paul seems to tackle uh, here in the book uh, written to the church uh, in Philippi. And, and disunity within the church, you know, it's a very dangerous thing because we are the body of Christ. Christ is the head and the church is the body. And we all know from 1 Corinthians 12 uh, and other passages, when, 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 when part of the body is cut off from the other part of the body, it doesn't function properly. You know, if my finger was removed from my body, it would not survive very long because it needs the rest of the body, the blood and the oxygen and all those things that flow through it for it to survive. And so division, disunity within the church is a very unhealthy thing. And so Paul seems to be challenging that viewpoint. And how does he challenge that viewpoint? He doesn't say, you know, he doesn't say, hey, this is what I think. He doesn't say, hey, get in line. He points them to Christ. He points them to Christ. When the church doesn't look at, at one another and our problems, when the church doesn't look at the world and what it thinks are solutions like politics, when the church really looks to Christ, we can stay together through anything. We, we, we can keep that spiritual phalanx that we picture here uh, no matter what. And, and I love this picture of the Canadian geese you know, flying in that V formation. Uh, uh, it allows them to fly faster and easier through the skies. They draft off one another. And that's really the picture uh, that unity in the church produces. It allows us all to fly higher and fly further for Christ. But unity is not an easy thing. It is not an easy thing. And so two big ideas here. Two clear points uh, that I believe Paul calls them to through Christ that can help us to also strive for Christ and maintain unity so we as a church can fly like this together in life. First big idea here is see what you have. To keep together, you've got to see what you have. Verses 1 through 2, uh, Paul is speaking sarcastically or, or hyperbolically. He says, if, if, if you've been given any encouragement from Christ, any comfort from His love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then he says, keep together. And of course that's a, a sarcastic, almost hyperbolic statement, because of course they've been giving a whole lot of encouragement from Christ. A whole lot of comfort, a whole lot of fellowship in the Spirit. So much tenderness and compassion that they don't even have time to recollect and understand how much they have been given. And it's true for us. If we could, if we could just take a moment and think about how much Christ has encouraged us as Christians today. We could all share for a very long time. If I opened it up tonight, we, we, we'd never be able to leave. Just from that one topic of how Christ has encouraged us. Let alone how much Christ has comforted us with His love. Fellowship with us through His Spirit. How tender and compassionate uh, He has been for all of us as brothers and sisters in Him. And so that is so true. It was so true then. It was so true today. But we don't always see it that way, do we? We don't always grasp and understand how much we've been given in Christ. And so let's look at these, uh, these five things real quick if we would. Uh, the first is encouragement. Paul says, you, you, of course, you've been given so much encouragement in Christ. Uh, the Greek word there is interesting. Uh, it means a calling near, a summons to help someone. 
And so, in other words, when, when we're weak, we're tempted, we're discouraged, we're confused, which, is, which may be where some of us are at right now in our faith. It says that Jesus, he, in that moment, He doesn't lecture us. He doesn't chastise us. He, he brings us near and comforts us. I've been learning that as a father of four daughters. Often what they need from me is just a hug. You know, they just need a little bit of encouragement, uh, you, know, uh, you know, to, get, to, continue, to continue to go on uh, in life. Uh, you know, but, but they, need, they need also sometimes my wisdom, sometimes my guidance, uh, and not just a hug. Sometimes a hug doesn't quite fix it. You know, a teacher, a boss, a coach who has better understanding, someone who's already done what you are trying to do is always helpful when you struggle. When you lack courage, which is what encouragement does, it gives us that courage again. Uh, it reminds me when I was in year six. In year six, we had this this camping trip as a as a as a primary school, and, and I was so pumped because I knew we were, I was going to get to do the the high ropes course, which is like one of those courses that, you know about you know three four meters off the ground, and you have to do all kinds of dangerous things up off the ground, and you're you're clipped in, you know, so you're not going to fall and die, but you feel like you're going to fall and die when you're up there. And I remember getting up there, going across the balance beams, and I, I thought I was Tarzan and Spider-Man all in one. I was, I was rolling, I was doing awesome, and then I came to this little part, and I'll never forget it. There's these little wooden planks. There's one of them, you know, they're about that big, you can stand on it. And then there's just space, and about, about, about a meter, and then there's another wooden plank. And at the time, it seemed like they were like six meters apart. And all you had to do was jump from one to the other. But I sat there, and I could not do it. Everyone's cheering for us. You can do it. You can do it. Run for us, run. No, that wasn't then, but uh, that was that was later. And they probably would have done it. Jump for us, jump. But the movie wasn't out then. But I just couldn't do it. And the instructor, after a while, said, "Okay, here's my hand. I want you to look at my hand, and as you jump, grab my hand." And then I was able to do it. And, and that picture, to me, you know, is what I think Paul is saying about Jesus. He he can give you courage. He's offering you a hand always. And you know that as Christians because He already has. You've come to many spiritual points in your life just like I was on that high ropes course where you don't know how to move forward. You feel like, I can't do it. I'm frozen, spiritually speaking. But Jesus got you through. He got you to the other side. He offers that encouragement to us every day through through His Word. As we pray, you know, and He intercedes for us. As we approach His church, Jesus is full of encouragement. And as we all receive this, it unites us as we all grab the same hand. As we all grab His hand, it it unites us more and more together. The next word here is uh, comfort. Comfort. Uh, The Greek uh, uh, word defined as a persuasive address. So this is much more, you know, this is much more of a talk than a hug, right, if you will. It's a conversation, right? Being comforted uh, by Jesus' loving words. And, and have we not, over and over and over, as the church, been comforted by Jesus' words? And I was just thinking about that. And, and, and if you just take a little sample today, you know, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations. Most of us, if we're honest, get overwhelmed by that idea. But we often forget the most important part, verse 20. Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yes, we need to go make disciples, but it's all about Jesus. He's coming with us as we go and make those disciples. And those are, that's a phrase that has changed my life lately in my evangelism. And has been very encouraging to me, those words. You know, Mark 9, verse 23. Jesus says, everything is possible for one who believes. Jesus' comforting words 
always help us remember there is always a chance. In Christ, no matter what it is, there is always a chance. Luke 18, verses 29 to 30. Truly I tell you, Jesus says, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. We can be comforted in great sacrifice for Jesus because somehow in the end when you lose for Jesus, you actually gain. Although at the moment it seems like just loss. His word reminds us of that and it comforts us. John 14, verse 1. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus promised in this life, you will have trouble. He actually promised that. That's not one of those encouraging promises. There's a lot of encouraging promises in the Bible. That's not one of them. But what is encouraging is is Jesus says, Even if you are troubled, if you just trust in me, you will get through. And of course, those were very important words for his disciples there in John 14. This is one of the last things he said to his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion. You know, that's just a few words from one of each of the Gospels. There's so much more that Jesus could say to us today, right? To to comfort us in whatever challenges we're going through at this moment in time. Uh, The next one, uh, fellowship. uh, the, The new NIV says common sharing in the spirit. The old NIV says fellowship. Uh, with the Spirit. I think fellowship makes it a little more understandable, but uh, amen, either phrase uh, is pretty accurate to the original Greek. But what what does that have to do with Jesus? Because it's referring to the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the, the triune part of God, uh, God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit uh, is, is what theologians have called the Trinity, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's a bit mysterious. We don't always understand it. Within the Godhead, uh, there are three persons who are neither three gods nor three parts of God, but co-equally and co-eternally God. Uh, that's, that's, that's a little bit of a mystery there. But, but, but we can often think with the Holy Spirit, it's just kind of this, you know, I don't know, this thing, and it kind of comes and goes. And as believers, the Bible says it's inside of us. It's our deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. But what's encouraging to me based on this passage is somehow, somehow as the Holy Spirit is in us, we also have Christ in us. Because, you know, in one sense they're separate, but they're equal. They're, they're, they're one and the same. And I don't want to get too far into theology here, but, but isn't that encouraging to think as, as we're filled with God's Holy Spirit, Christ is, is that much closer to us. That's wonderful fellowship. And amen, I appreciate the, the fellowship of the churches of Christ. I love wherever I go around the world. I'm accepted as a brother. I, I, I'm loved. I'm fed. I'm, I'm housed. They don't even know who I am. You know that? But that's the church. And praise God. Praise God for the fellowship of the believers. It's an awesome thing. But as awesome as that is, fellowship with Jesus is even better. It's even sweeter. It's even more meaningful. It provides even more than those physical things we provide for each other can. And, and we should be encouraged and empowered and emboldened. And again, we've all received that. We're all staying in the same spiritual house here in Christ. And that brings us more and more together. The more we understand what he has given us. Uh, and lastly here, it's tenderness and compassion. Uh, those words in Greek are very closely related. Uh, the best way to summarize it is tenderness is more about the feeling in, in the heart for someone. And compassion is the action then that follows. Compassion would be the action uh, then that follows. And we see this, of course, clearly on the cross. You know, God cared enough. He cared enough. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son. But Jesus Himself cared enough to then choose to accept that mission and that call. 
Because we know that he had a choice and he, he made that choice. You know, out of tenderness and compassion for us, the sinners, to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven. So that he would take upon himself to do punishment uh, that should have come to us. So as a Christian, we can never say, no one cares about me. Jesus deeply cares about you. And he deeply cares about me. And that was clearly displayed on the cross. You know, the gospel is all motivated by God's tenderness and compassion for the world. And that's, again, that's what brings us together today. It's because God has been tender. God has been compassionate on us. It's not because we're so good or we we have it all together. No, it's because God is so good. And He has brought us together. Five riches here. You know, we, we all have in Christ if we're a Christian today. Encouragement, comfort, fellowship, tenderness, and compassion. These can unite us no matter what if we get them. But that's the challenge, isn't it? Do we get? Do we get what we've received in Christ? Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse 8, uh, he's speaking and, 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 he, and he has this phrase. He talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Another way that word can be translated is not unsearchable but boundless. The boundless riches of Christ. And, you know, from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, we, we just kind of opened up the vault and saw some shiny metal. You know, we're, we're just opening the vault today. I wish I could take you further in. I wish I had that insight. I wish I had that understanding. But I'm like you. I'm looking in, hoping to understand it a little bit more. And that's why we open the Word. And, and that's why we do what it says. And that's why we come in together and worship God today. That's why we take communion. So we can get a little bit more what we have. Because God has been so good. He has been so gracious. He has poured out so much to us as his body, the church. We can spend our whole life searching these riches and never fully understand them. And many theologians do, don't they? In Christ, we have a love that can never be fathomed. A life that can never die. A righteousness that can never be tarnished. A peace that can never be understood. A rest that can never be disturbed. A joy that can never be diminished. A hope that can never be disappointed. A glory that can never be clouded. A light that can never be darkened. A purity that can never be defiled. A beauty that can never be marred. A wisdom that can never be baffled. Resources that can never be exhausted. That is what we have as a church in Christ. And if we get this more and more, and we all go toward that more and more, it brings us more and more together. And whenever we struggle with unity, whenever we struggle with being together as a church, it's because we're seeing that less and less. We're focusing less and less on Christ and more and more on each other. And whenever we get to that point, we are in trouble. Because it's not about us. It's all about Christ. And that's exactly what Paul does here. He, he, he reminds them of all the things that they've had and, and received in Christ. Then he says in verse 2, after they get that, then he says, then you, then you can be like-minded. You can have the same love. You can be one in spirit and one of mind. Then they can, they, can, they can stay together and keep together once they understand what they have in Christ. And so you might be skeptical when you hear this. Are you, are you saying, Forrest, that we can always stay united? Are you saying that? Well, well, have you studied church history? I mean, that's a bit of a naive statement. You don't really understand the nature of people. 
you never really understand how things work in the Birmingham church or, or whatever you want to say out, out of skepticism right now. But, but, but I think, again, as soon as you start going in that direction, who and what are you looking to? You're looking at people. You're looking at situations. You're looking at history. You're not looking at Christ. And so you already in that skepticism, and I understand it because I can be the same way, you already have gotten your eyes and your mind and your heart off of Christ and onto something else. And that's the kind of thinking that eventually leads to divisions within the church. And Paul's calling us to something way better than that. Something sweeter and something much higher. Unity in and through Christ. So to stay together, we've got, we got to see what we have. And finally here, we've got to go and do likewise. Go and do, go and do likewise. Go, go and do the same. Paul, as he often does, he, he puts this beautiful picture of Jesus in his letters. He, he, does it, he does it well always, right? Through the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that. But, but as he puts these beautiful images and pictures of Christ, and everyone says, yes, thank you, Jesus. Then he says, now go and be the same way. And that's exactly what he does here, right? If you have any of this, then go make my joy complete in verse 2 by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind, do nothing in verse 3 out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And then he goes on to quote what is believed to be an early hymn in the church, which we'll study out in great detail next Sunday because it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to understand about the parabolic nature of what Jesus went through on this earth while he was here. And so, so he calls them to go out and be like Jesus. WWJD, whatever you want to call it. You know, imitation, discipleship. He says, if you understand what Jesus has given you, you need to go now and do the same. And that is what will bring you closer together. That is what will help you work through whatever it is that's challenging you in your relationships in the church in Philippi. And so based on what they've already received in Christ, he says they are to, first off, have the same mind. They're to have the same mind. In verse 2, he actually uses two different phrases. He says, being like-minded, and then at the end of that, of one mind. And that seems like an impossible task at, at first glance. You just, just bring up one issue in the church, and we tend to be many-minded, right? And we, we all have different views on it, and different opinions, and different feelings, and it doesn't all seem to match up, right? So how is that even possible? Paul would not call him to something that's not possible, right? Well, well, I think it again comes back to where are we looking. Uh, I love 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. The, the appeal is in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The appeal of having one mind and like-mindedness was verse 1, because of Christ. Unity is not about our minds. It's about the lordship of Jesus in our minds. It's not about our minds. It's about Jesus being lord of the way we think. We often suffer from what I like to call stinking thinking. You know, Satan is the great accuser, is he not? He's the father of lies, is he not? And that's often how and where he works. It's in our heads. We We can start thinking all kinds of crazy stuff. All kinds of crazy things. But as soon as we start thinking those things, that's where we need Jesus in our minds even more. Uh, you know, I've heard people accuse churches of brainwashing people. And I like to say, hey, my brain needs a little washing, to be honest. And it still does. Because that stinking thinking can get in there quite fast. 
and mess up the unity that I have with my brothers and sisters in Christ. His word, if his word, if Jesus' word is clear, that's the end of the story. Whether I think this or I think that, or you think this or you think that. If his word is clear, that's the end of the story. There's no more discussion and nothing else to think about. Yet we can hear Jesus' words, be reminded of Jesus' words, and still think something different. Of course that's going to cause problems amongst us, if that's the way we think. But if his word is clear, that's all the thinking that we need. Plug it in and, and, and go with it, right? And even if his word is clear, we have to continue to go back to it and remind ourselves of it and figure out how to practically apply that into our lives. That's not so simple, right? Uh, but even if his word is not, doesn't speak to the situation, well, his word is clear that he wants us to be unified and he wants us all to get along and agree. And so we've got to try to find agreement. We've got to f- try to find common ground. But even if we disagree, let's disagree in Christ. And then we can stay one in Christ and continue to move forward. To me, the only acceptable form of division within God's body, the church, is heresy. Heresy. Someone is teaching false doctrine about the truths in the church. Someone, someone is not teaching grace. Well, well, that might be a form, that might be a, an opportunity where we might have to separate for a time to get that sorted out. But that would be the only example, biblically, of a biblical form of, of, of division that would be acceptable. So biblically, biblically, we've we got to keep working on our mindset to stay together. Jesus only has one mind, and we need to have the same mind he had. We also have to have the same heart. We've got to have the same heart, the same love. He doesn't say love like everyone else. He says no. In, in verse 1, he says he, he refers to Jesus' love. And then in verse 2, he refers to having the same kind of love that Jesus had. We, we tend to love the way we... We think we should love. We tend to love the way the world loves, right? But Jesus calls us to something far greater and something far higher that actually promotes unity uh, and actually helps us to cover over a multitude of sins as we love each other. I love Colossians three twelve to 14. Uh, it's some great advice. As God's chosen people, because God loves you, because God's chosen you, and you're holy and dearly loved, it says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, because of what God's done for us, we can do this to others. That's always the pattern in the scripture. And it says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Again, we forgive because God forgave us. But then at the end it says, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You can have the right talk, the right actions, the right plans, but if you have no love in the end, it will not bind it all together in perfect unity. You know, uh, to me, the right actions, the right plans, the right talk without love is, is kind of like it's kind of like an IKEA assembly project on the right, without all the hardware here. You know, on the other side, you can have all the wood and you can be Mr. Carpenter, but if you don't have those little those little twisty turny things there that you know have those things, I don't know what they call them. You know, that that kind of go in and grab the bolt and they turn. If you don't have those little wood pegs. It's not coming together. I've been living in an Ikea world the last few weeks a lot with a new home, and so I'm, this is very near to my heart. And some of you right now, you know, you thought it was a picture of you, you know. And, and we get so frustrated. We get so frustrated in the church when we have friction with each other, but we, we don't often take a step back and actually think, wait a second. Yeah, I've got a great point here that I'm trying to express to this person, but am I loving them as I do it? You know, they, they don't, you know... They don't really, you know, care how much I know till they know how much I care sometimes. Sometimes that stops us, right, from making progress in life. The same mind, the same heart. Uh, he also calls them to have the same soul. The same soul. 
You know, he calls them to have one, one spirit here in Philippians 2. And that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a lowercase s, right? Not the Holy Spirit, but this idea of, 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 of our soul, the, the way we are on the inside. You know, we, we all look very different on the outside as the church. And amen, praise God for that. I love the diversity in God's church. That's the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to be. But, but on the inside, on a soul level, Keith and I, we should be the same. We should be the same. Rory and I, you know, we, we, we should be the same. Martin and I, we should be the same. Derek and I, we should be the same. Because we're brothers in Christ. And the soul level is what Paul's referring to when he refers to this idea of standing firm in, in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. It wasn't that they were literally going out with spears and, and shields, right? They, it, but they're in a spiritual battle. And they've got to all have the same soul. And of course, in Christ again, if we understand what we receive, we, we can all have that same soul, that same spirit amongst us. And then Paul goes on to wrap up here uh, this call to, to, to be the same as Jesus with a call to have the same humility. And this is, this is the hardest one for sure. It's challenging. He says you need to have the same humility of Christ. And, and that, he says here, is what, is what we don't do and what we do. As he closes out verses 3 through 4. To have the same humility of Christ, he says, do nothing. First, the do nothing is do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. To have the humility of Jesus, you must do nothing, he says, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Um, selfish ambition is actually defined a bit by Paul. Because if you go back to chapter 1, uh, uh, in verse 17, he says, he uses the same actually phrase in the Greek, right? Referring to some men who are preaching. Uh, you know, to kind of get back at Paul. He says, the former preach, in 1 verse 17, Christ, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. And so selfish ambition defined here uh, would be if I speak, if I act, if I do anything in the church that causes trouble. Whoa, you know, I... I, I didn't picture it that way. I thought of you know the arrogant, pompous guy who walks in. I should be king of the church. You know, that's what I picture when I think of such ambition. But Paul says, no, you cause any kind of real trouble amongst the brothers and sisters by the way you act, by the way you speak. Even, even dare I say, by the way we think and the way that flows out. He says, that, that's selfish ambition. That's, that's not the way of Christ. That has nothing to do with Christ. Do nothing that way, he says. And also nothing in vain conceit. Vain conceit. That's more the me monster picture for sure. You know, the guy who, it's all about him. Uh, but literally the Greek phrase is empty glory. Empty glory. There, there are many things we can do and undertake in the name of Jesus, quote unquote. That's really just about the glory of ourselves, or the glory of our ministry, or the glory of our church. And yeah, there might be a little bit of glory. Yeah, ooh, that's awesome. But it doesn't last. It's a fading glory, right? It's a fading glory. And it, and it doesn't grow. It doesn't, it doesn't sustain. Because it's more about the glory of man than it is about the glory of God. Ministry in any other name but Jesus is ministry that's promoting disunity in the church. It's ministry that doesn't reflect Jesus. It's empty glory. To have the same humility of Christ, we must do nothing in selfish ambition or vain conceit. That will help us to stay together. And keep together. Uh, and then in verses 3 through 4, he actually gives us uh, just what not to do. He also gives us what to do, right? Amen for that. As we close out here, he says in verses 3 through 4, the latter part of verse 3 and the rest of verse 4, he says, what should we do? He says, we should value others 
and ourselves. No, that's not what he says. He says you should value others. But 21st century thinking, we like to kind of put ourselves in there real fast, don't we? He says you should think about your interests and other people's interests too. And really, you know, let's make this all fair. No! He says you should think about others' interests. He doesn't include us at all. Because again, what, what's, what's the standard? What are we going after? We're going after Jesus. And that was Jesus' standard through and through and through. You know, do we really approach each other this way? Not easily, right? And why not? Well, I think we've, we think we're, we're going to miss out. If I come in and, I, and I, I don't think about me and I just think about you the whole time and I, you know, and, 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 and I, don't, I don't think about, you know, anyone's agenda but mine, somehow I'm just going to get lost in the shuffle and I'm going to get neglected and my needs aren't going to be met. And, and, but again, you know, G, Jesus emptied himself out completely. And yet he was fulfilled completely in the end. And we'll look at that in, in the hymn that we're going to study out next Sunday. How Jesus completely emptied himself out. He, he went to the lowest possible form that a human could go by dying on a cross at that time. But where is he now? He's in the highest possible place. Again, that's humanistic thinking. And that's the kind of thinking that promotes disunity in the church. Because it's not, it's not the way of Christ. We must go and do the same as Jesus did if we are to keep together. You know, I think we all need to ask ourselves if we're members of the Birmingham church, how do I approach my life? As I walk in here on a Sunday, as I go throughout my week, is it more of a sense of self or more of a sense of community? And there are two different, very different results in the end for us personally and for our church based on that kind of view that we have. Uh, it's interesting, you know, the, the words me, myself, and I, what I like to call the personal trinity. <laughs> There's no unity in there. But in the word community, there's the word unity. Right? You see that? The UOB students are like, I don't don't know. Oh, I get it. Just kidding. Just kidding. And it's, this is nothing new. It's like you guys, I've never heard this before. It's all over the New Testament. It's all about us. It's all about, you know, if if someone else is weak, then then I'm weak. If someone else is struggling, then I'm struggling. And vice versa. We are in this together. It's my salvation. It's your salvation. God has not, you know, uh, He's not made our salvation corporate. It's individual. But our sanctification and the rest of our journey, once we are saved, it's corporate. And we, we, we help or we hinder based on how we act. And our actions should be... Our actions should be a reflection of Christ. The things we choose to do and not to do, it, it, it's all about Christ. And Paul beautifully calls them to that standard. You know, the Bible is very clear. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, no one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The women be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not Quickly broken. Church, to keep together, we must get what we have in Christ, but then we must also go and, and do the same. We, we must do the same. The same mind, the same love, the same spirit, the same humility. And we tend to, you know, we tend to be challenged by this because we, we tend to go before we get the mind, the heart, the soul, and the humility of Christ. Sometimes we need to work hard to get the same mind, the same heart, the same soul, the same humility of Christ. Then work hard 
And they continue to work hard as we go. Right? That's, that's how we really continue to grow closer and closer together and be more and more the church that God wants us to be. You know, Philippians 2, to me, is just vital. It's a vital life lesson. We, we all need help. We all need help to get and stay unified. You know, I nearly had a tragedy to close out our time here. I want to tell you a little story personally. I nearly had a tragedy this last week. I, my family relocated from uh, Sydney, Australia uh, to Birmingham, England. And uh, you guys have had some beautiful Australian weather la- lately. Thank you for that. Everyone keeps telling me, I'll wait. Oh, you just wait. You know, I, I don't know. I don't believe it. Every time I come here, the sun shines. But anyway, um, and one of, the, one of the things Australians love is they love to barbecue. They love to barbecue because the weather is great there and you can barbecue a lot. And so I brought my Australian barbecue with me, mate, all the way from Sydney, you know. And so I'm, I'm excited. We're getting unpacked. And, and I kept peering at the barbecue out there like, i got to get her ready. i got to get her ready. We need to grill. The sun's out. But I just didn't have time. I'm unpacking boxes and... So finally I get to it, you know, and I'm so excited and I, and, and I, go, I go to home base and, you know, oh, well, you know, we use a different kind of, you know, regulator than, than they use in, in Australia. And I did my homework before I came and, you know, different kind of attachment to the gas bottle. And so I get the right gas bottle, I get the right attachment, I'm thinking, okay, this is it. You know, I'm coming home, firing up the grill tonight. And I, I you know, I get, I get back and I can't get my old regulator, I just can't get it off. Like I'm literally shredding the brass off the bowl and it just will not turn. And I just don't know what to do. So I spend 20, 30 minutes using every tool I have. I can't get the job done. I just quit and go to bed discouraged. I get up the next morning and I I start looking online and I find uh, Calor Gas, C-A-L-O-R Gas. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. And... uh, and I call them, you know, I'm like, you know, what, can we get a hose, hose attachment or can we, do you have a, you know, a valve or, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. And the, and the guy's like, oh, well, just, just spray some WD-40 on it. Maybe it's just, you know, stuck. It's like, oh, okay. So I do that. Sure enough, it comes right off. I'm like, yes, thank you. Thank you, Calor Gas. So then I take the, you know, the, the new, the new regulator and I just have to thread that thing back on. I start threading that thing back on. I can't get it to attach. It will not. It will not thread. And the brothers are understanding this more than the sisters. It will. The bolt will not thread onto the other. The other threads of, of the of the manifold piece. It just will not go on there. So I take the old part and I put it. It goes right back on. But it's got the old regulator on it. The new part has the new regulator on it to get to the gas. So I don't know what to do. And I spent another twenty minutes. I'm sweating. You know, it's raining. It's pouring down. I've like, got to get this done. I went to bed that next night discouraged again. Didn't get it done. So I go back to home base the next day. I'm like, surely, surely there's a solution. So I bring in the piece, and I had uh, I met James. Him and I are becoming really good friends at home base. And uh, James, I said, well, let's take off. Maybe this is just maybe this is broken. Maybe this is just bad. It was it was just you know cast wrong. So we take off one of the other you know floor model pieces. That thing that I bought that should go on my barbecue goes right on their barbecue. So I'm like, oh no, no. So I'm thinking there's just no solution. And James goes. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think you're just going to have to get a new barbecue. And I was just so discouraged. No! Look at the price tags and the size. I'm thinking, this doesn't make sense to me. I can't do this. i got to find a way. And James goes, wait a second, wait a second. What if you clip off the, 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 you know, the, the, the end of the old hose, attach the regulator to the, to, to the old hose, the new regulator to the old hose, use this little C-clamp thing. And I'm like, brilliant. Brilliant, James. You, you know, I, I almost hugged him. And uh, you know, so I run back to my house. I do what he says to do. I pop in that barbecue, and I'm happy to say I barbecued last night, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Man. Three days later. And get ready for some church barbecues. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. We'll have you over soon. 
But why am I telling you this story about my uh, ineptability to convert a barbecue from Australia to the UK? Well, the reason I'm telling you this story is, is because I think, I think sometimes in the church we, we really can help each other to be united. I think there's a lot of resources and ability to, to continue to grow and stay together. But, but the expert is Jesus. And I needed the help of the quote-unquote experts. <laughs> or I never would have figured it out. That barbecue would be inoperable to this day had I not got some expert help to figure it out. And we got to remember that in the midst of our struggles and challenges to really bring Jesus into the focus. Because yes, we're going to have our challenges. Yes, we're going to have our bumps. The church, church is, it, it's God's perfect plan for imperfect people. We're going to have our challenges. But we've got to keep going back to Jesus and His standard and back to living the way He calls us to live. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for coming. You know, have you found your place in life? Would be my question to you. Are, are you one of those geese in a beautiful formation, heading through life, soaring, soaring through life? Another way to put it uh, as a Christian is, are you in Christ? If you're not sure where you are, you're not sure you're in Christ, I want to, I want to welcome you to, to a home and a family that would love to have you be a part of it. The door is always open and there's always food spiritually on the table. And one of the best things we can offer you to become a part of our family is to open up God's Word with us. And see what it means to really be in Christ and to know Christ. And we'd love to be able to share that with you today. Please see uh, the friend that invited you out about those uh, study series that we had. Or please see me uh, after service. Church in Christ. In Christ. We can and must keep together. But we've got to get what we have. We, can't, we cannot take for granted all the riches, the, the abundance that we have in Jesus. Let's continue to fill our lives up more and more with the goodness that He wants to continually give us. And, and to understand it more and more and more. But, but let's not just get what we have. We've got to then go and do the same with each other. We've got to go and do the same to this lost world. And if we can do that as, as one man, as one woman, as one church, we will keep together in Christ. Let, let, let's be those people. Let's be that church. Let's continue to change the world for Him and through Him. And the Birmingham Church of Christ said, Amen. Thank you.